Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of coming together to celebrate your Lordship, to give you thanks and praise. We thank you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your great power and love. Lord, we confess our need for you. We acknowledge that in our own strength we struggle and worry, get weary and worn out. But with you, all things are possible. Thank you for your love. Love you have for each of us. Love that never ends. Thank you for your presence. We know you never leave us. Thank you for your care. Care you have for each of us bringing hope and refreshment into our lives. Lord, may we each be drawn close to you. May we be filled with your Holy Spirit and may you work your purposes in and through us. Lord, we pray for unity across the body of Christ. We pray that all churches will seek to follow and stay true to your word preaching the gospel with boldness and reaching out to those in our society who are lost and left without hope. Lord, we think of the moral challenges facing our community, issues of abortion, euthanasia and gender fluidity. Father, we ask for wisdom and discernment in relation to how we should respond to these issues. In particular, help us to share your love with those who have different views to our own. Lord, we thank you for our parliamentary system. We pray for our political leaders, for those in government and those in opposition. We pray for our Prime Minister, Mr Morrison, and thank you that he is prepared to publicly confess you as Lord. We pray for the new leader of the opposition, Mr Albanese, acknowledging the importance of a strong opposition within our political system. We pray for our State Premier, Mr Marshall, and the Leader of the Opposition, Mr Malinowskis. Lord, we pray for all those in positions of authority and power and ask that righteousness and truth may be the hallmark of all they do. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling, those facing financial stress, those seeking direction in life, those needing work, those who are homeless, and those suffering from illness. Lord, we particularly bring our friend Richard Sullivan before you as he recovers from heart surgery earlier this week. Lord, we thank you for the drenching rain we've experienced over the last month. Thank you for the refreshment that it brings. But Lord, we also bring before you the farmers who are still confronting drought. We think of the ecological issues many rivers are facing, and the huge environmental challenges that are becoming so evident. Lord, help us to be good stewards of the wonderful world that you have blessed us with. Lord, we bring before you the growing levels of violence we see portrayed each day in the media. We know that only you have answers for these issues. We pray for those who feel the need to resort to violence and for those innocent people who suffer as a result. Lord, we pray for those facing domestic violence and those impacted by events like the recent mass shooting in America. Our world faces so many horrific things. Lord, bring your peace into these situations. 
Lord, thank you for your faithfulness and the assurance that only comes through knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Anthony. I just love the way Anthony prays, the words that he uses. I just feel like I'm travelling with him in a boat or something when he prays. It's just an image I have. Just the words that you use, I just feel like I can cling on to and say as my own. So thank you for that gift. And Heather and Chris, so good to see you amongst us today. Yeah, really awesome that you're, you're back on a Sunday morning. Really fantastic to see you. Uh, last week, I, I preached on spiritual disciplines and the need uh, in our lives to take seriously the, the need for quiet time and coming before the Lord and building on our relationship with him one-on-one. And as part of that sermon, I was going to kind of link the two together and I ran out of time, so I thought I'd just use it as an intro for this week. Um, So part of that sermon, I talked about how our doing should actually come from our being. The things that we choose to strive for, not in our own strength, but that we desire and aim towards, should actually be, be born in first who we are in Christ, and that who we are comes from that daily devotion, that strengthening from uh, knowing who's, who we are in, in God. And so don't just go, yes, I need to spend time reading my Bible and praying because that's the right thing to do. Yes, it is. But let it come from a desire that comes from, based on who I want to be, based on who I want to be, what do I need to do? And so out of that thought... Based on who I want to be as a Christ follower, based on who I want to be as a Christian, based on who I want to be as a person of influence in this world, based on who I want to be as a child of God, what is it that I then should be doing as a discipline? And have you ever thought that meeting together in a small group is actually a discipline? Meeting together in a small group is actually a discipline. In fact, are we on? The writer of Hebrews, there we go. (laughs) Joe knows how I feel. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Let's not neglect our meeting together. For the early church, meeting together wasn't once a week. It wasn't once a week. And yet, in our Western mindset, that's kind of a routine. That every Sunday we get together, and it's wonderful to get together. But for the early Christians... And we base ourselves on the New Testament church. It was not once a week. It was day by day. They were literally doing life together. It went the wrong way. 
Oh, gosh. <laughs> Check the battery. All right. They were doing life together. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have the time to every day meet. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, we have our, our lives and our, and our jobs. And the benefit of meeting as we can beyond Sunday is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Meeting together beyond Sunday. And in conversation with people, I've just found myself using this phrase, doing life together. I don't know whether that was something in my subconscious or something that I came up with. I realised it wasn't when I googled it. Lots of people have done this sort of sermon. Uh, Doing life together kind of encapsulates that we are together as a family, that we are not on our own, that church is beyond coming together Sunday and and singing songs and listening to some guy rabbit on. It's actually about being together and doing life. The ups and downs, sharing our highs and our lows, going through grief with someone, actually praying for someone for a breakthrough, uh, dealing with the, the pressures and family circumstances that are around us. Yes, we can pray for that on a Sunday, but how much better can we do that in a, in a tighter group, in relationship with one another? And on Sunday, Vision Sunday, we talked about uh, Puzzle Man. There he is. And I keep coming back to this because on this Sunday, we identified areas in our church that we believe need strengthening in order to be a fully functioning, healthy church. And we listed up there that our small group ministry needs strengthening. There has to be a reason why, and I'm just guessing here, but looking at the data, 90% of our congregation don't participate in small groups. There's got to be a reason. Maybe, yeah. And I want to actually label, what could some of these reasons be? Let's, let's, put, let's put that out there. Time. Everyone's going to say that as their number one thing. I, my life is so busy, can I fit this in? Perhaps it's the format. Perhaps the format doesn't quite meet your need. Whether it's, it's regularity or the style, and I'm going to actually talk to that a bit later on. Stage of life. (laughs) Lots of kids, you know, got lots of extra things that we're driving them to. How can I fit something else in? Perhaps you've had a bad experience. You've been part of a group and you shared something and you haven't felt like you got the support you needed. Perhaps it's not been well led. Perhaps there's there's family dynamics going on. And I know that there's wonderful families in this life of the church that go beyond just the nuclear family. There's there's the the Potters with their many Potters. There's the Moors with the many Moors. And sometimes family dynamics can be hard to have within a, a smaller group. I'm rostered on so much in, in, our, in our church. Now, I'm on this, I'm on kids' ministry, I'm on setup, I'm on that, and how can I now commit to something else? Or maybe you just don't think it's necessary. Now, all of those 
may seem valid. But based on what I said at the start, if I'm wanting to grow as a disciple of Christ, if I'm wanting to get the most out of my connection to my family, the church, how am I best going to do that? It's going to be through connecting in a small group. Now, I'm totally aware that us doing a series on life groups um, might come across like, well, okay, well, I have to do it then. Oh, we're talking about it. I suppose I should join a group. It's kind of obligatory. You might feel pressured. You feel like, oh, it's being asked of me. It's being asked of everyone. Therefore, I suppose I have to do it. Please, please, please hear me. And if you don't remember anything else of this morning, remember this. Your desire to be in a smaller group should first come from a Holy Spirit conviction. It come from, should come from a revelation. And my prayer is that over the course of these, these weeks, as you listen to the teaching and as you sense what the Lord is saying to you, that the Lord would actually be doing something in your heart and, and actually the Lord be the one manoeuvring you, not, not being pressured. Because at the end of the day, it needs to be good for you. It needs to be good for you. Because I want to be someone who's growing deeper in my relationship and developing my gifts. What small group should I commit to? So why small groups? I've got three reasons, and I'm going to just whip through these. We're designed for it. It was Jesus' own pattern. And it's the pattern that we see the early church functioning with. So first of all, we're designed for community. It's in our DNA. We are designed for connection with one another, for relationship. You don't have to go very far in our own thinking to know that there is a deep desire in our hearts to actually have a real deep connection with people. In Genesis, hey, it's working. In Genesis, God said, let us, let us, that is the Trinitarian God, make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, what does that actually mean? Does it mean that we look in a mirror like God does? No. The likeness and the image is reflecting the character of God who is by nature relational. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are interdependent and connected with one another and flow in and out of relationship with one another. And so being made in his image and in his likeness is that we are made relational. We are made to be in relationship. In a similar way, later on, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper and then we know that out of his rib, he creates the woman and they, they partner together. Now, this isn't just about partnership and work. It's not just in the context of doing. It's actually, if you think about it, for, in order for God to create man and then woman, God's actually creating family because out of that comes children and out of that comes 
grandchildren, and then out of that comes fifth cousins, twelfth removed, and then <laughs> mothers-in-law, and so on and so forth. So for it not to be good for the man to be alone is actually we're actually designed for community. Even if you're an introvert, like me, I just, I just love getting away by myself. That's how, I, that's how I just build my energy up again, just somewhere, just me, because like, that, that just shows that I'm an introvert. Even though I'm an introvert, it's not good for me to be alone forever. It is not good for me. In fact, being alone is used as a punishment. We do this with our kids. Go to the naughty corner by yourself or, or the laundry, which is our spot. <laughs> in, in military times or prison camps, what was the worst thing? Solitary confinement. It's actually used as a torture method, as a punishment. Uh, in my teenage years, I um, went on a youth camp to Tasmania and part of that was we got to visit port, the Port Arthur site. Uh, and it was only a few years after the, the shooting that was there. And the tour took us around all the different places. And one of the most interesting places was the chapel that is connected to the prison at Port Arthur. I don't know if you know, I've, I took a photo. This is a photo of the chapel. And what they've got there is a big divider in the middle it's actually better shown in this next photo. And there are a whole stack of booths. And they, they bring them in one by one. And they've, they've got a, a thing over your head. And they've got a door that you close. And then the next person comes in. And they've got a door that they close. So that you're completely in solitary confinement when you go to church. They, they weren't allowed to see or talk or meet any of the other prisoners throughout their whole prison life. And even in church, they made it so that they weren't able to interact with another human being. Now, we are told that the hymn singing in that was like no other. Do you know why? Because it was in the singing of the hymns that they could notice and realise that they were part that there were other people there and there was that longing for connection with people and so they sang their hearts out because they could hear the voices of other people even though they couldn't see them. Amazing. These convicts, these prisoners singing praises to God really loudly because they wanted to be connected with other people. So we're designed for it. Secondly, it was Jesus' own method. Jesus sets up the first small group. Picks 12 lads, says, we're going to do life together. Literally, and I've just got one example here of the calling of the disciples. A little farther up the shore, he, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their father, Zebedee preparing their nets. So they're, they're fishermen. And he called to them, too, because he's already called some other people, and they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Leaving the boat 
and their father behind. They literally stop what they're doing and follow Jesus. And for the next three years, they don't go back to their jobs. They don't go back to fishing. They don't go back to family reunions with their father. Where Jesus goes, they go. Where Jesus sleeps, they sleep. What Jesus eats, they eat. Who Jesus talks to, they talk to. They literally did life together. Thirdly, it's the New Testament pattern that we see. And let's be honest, if we look at church history, every church movement has had small groups as part of their life together. I want to do something really interesting now. I want to just take a run through the book of Acts. And the reason for doing that is I want to look at how the early church grew. Because as the early church grew, there became a lot of new, new believers. And I want to ask the question, how did the New Testament church organise itself? But before we get to answering that question, I want to look at, at, at the growth. It's a really interesting thing. Because if we think about it, Pentecost is next week. Where did the early church start? started in a house. started with a group of people meeting together in a home. So the, the growth of the church was amazing. I'm going to start at Acts 1.15. It says, Those days Peter stood up, a group numbering about 150. There's about 150 believers at the start. Pentecost happens. Peter preaches. And then those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added that day. Now, I know some people have an issue with the idea of megachurch, but do you know that the church started as a megachurch? <laughs> 3,000 were in, in one day. Wow. And then... Further on in 2.47, and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. So every day there was more being added. So at the very least we're talking 365 more. But we know that it was a lot more than that. Further on, Acts 4.4, many heard and believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now it only says men there. So wherever there were men, there were women, and there were families. So it was way beyond 5,000. Moving on, Acts 5.14. And more than ever, more than ever before, so 5,000 were added before, so more than that, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. We can't actually count them now. It's now multitudes. And then in 6.1, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were, now we've started with adding. Now we're adding to that. Now we're actually multiplying. 
started with the language of adding. Now we're multiplying. And I could keep going on and on and on and on and on, but I'm just going to skip right through to 2120. And they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed? Now that word, how many thousands, in Greek is myrios, which we get the word myriad, which basically means too numerous to count. It was, there was just so many, you couldn't actually put a number to it. Now, first of all, I want to say, I believe in church growth. I believe in people coming to know Jesus and that churches throughout our nation, throughout our world, growing because it's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. But just like on Vision Sunday, we said, what if, what if we saw growth like that? in our church. What would we do with the people? It's a a question that's worth asking. And it's a question that we look at the new, what did they do with the people? They've got tens and tens of thousands in the church. How did they organise themselves? How did they meet? What did they do? What's the method? What's the answer? to having lots of people. Acts 2.46, every day, there's the every day, they continued to meet in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You see, there were two modes of gathering. There was the big mode, the temple courts. Now Solomon's temple was huge and in the courts you could easily fit, standing up, tens and tens of thousands of people. So that is our Sunday corporate worship. And in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And it actually says the same thing later on in Acts 5. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching. So in order to solve the problem of there being lots of people, The early church organised themselves in such a way to have big corporate gatherings and small, intimate, encouraging, connecting times together in their homes. So you might still be thinking, yes, I can see the pattern, I can see Jesus did it, I can see that I'm designed for it, but perhaps some of those things are still clouding your mind. And I mentioned one of those things was perhaps the style didn't fit. Now, I want to say right from the get-go, as we look this month in strengthening our small group ministry, I don't want there to be a cookie-cutter idea of a small group. So we might have this idea, okay, it's we get together, we read the Bible, we answer some questions that someone's written, we pray, we go home. That, that might work for a particular group. It might be that you get together around a different method. It might be that the frequency isn't weekly or fortnightly, it might be monthly. There is no one idea or style that everyone has to follow. To be, to be in connection and to be together 
it might actually require thinking differently about what works for people. And it's what works for people that is going to determine perhaps how they all look differently, yet they still have the same components, meeting together, deep relationships, connected and growing in faith. Now, up until this time, I have purposely, I've let one slip out, I've purposely said small groups on purpose because in the past we've called it small groups. On the newsletter, it actually still says connect groups. We've called them home groups. We've called them Bible studies. We've called them house churches. There's been lots of labels for the idea of getting together. And part of doing a series for the next four weeks on doing life together was to actually kind of launch the idea that we are going to call getting together in small groups life groups. Because I think that best describes what we're talking about. It best describes and encapsulates connected relationships, shared experiences, and growing in our knowledge of faith and doing it together, sharing our lives with one another, a life group. Because at the end of the day, isn't deep connection what we actually all yearn for? Knowing others deeply and perhaps being vulnerable enough and honest enough for others to know us, who we really are. Not the pretense, not the, I've got my Sunday church mask on, pretending everything's okay. I don't think we can really know one another fully on a Sunday. Yes, we have morning tea. Yes, we have a couple of conversations every now and then. But it's the beyond Sunday, doing life together, that I think we actually all actually yearn for. And maybe if we made space, we might actually experience it. So over the next two weeks, I want to take the word life and talk about the benefits of life groups. L is going to be for learning. I is for influence, how we influence one another in our faith. F, fellowship. And E, experience. I want to talk about all of those things and how they occur in life groups. And on the last week, I thought it would be really fantastic if we could have some people share about some really positive experiences about their own journey, their own life in a small group uh, where they've actually grown because they've committed to meeting together beyond a Sunday. So if you have a story in your life, it can be last week, it can be 10 years ago, 50 years ago, I would love for you to come to me because I want to put those stories together and give people an opportunity just to share um, how coming together and connecting in relationship has actually really grown them. But there's just one last thing to clear up. 
And that is we have been talking about interest groups. And I just want to say again, if you can come up with a better word than interest group, <laughs> my creativity's like reached its limit there. I, I don't know why. Um, where, we, where we've talked about you know, walking or bike riding or craft, or, we're trying to get these things up and running and they, they being a means of outreach in which we can invite people to that's very relaxed, very relational. Um, so that, those are interest groups. And, and you're saying, oh, well, are they life groups? No, they, they actually form a different function. And to, to help illustrate that, I want some volunteers. Andrew, can you come up? And Kathy, can you? Hey, girls, do you mind coming up for a sec? Uh, <gasps> Ali, do you want to come out the front? And maybe Soren, you too. You look like you're looking for something to do there. Um, now, I've done this illustration before, so hopefully you don't know what I'm about to say and ruin it for me. But can I get you guys to just stand in a circle holding hands for me? Stand in a circle and hold hands. There we go. Around the pulpit. That's beautiful. <laughs> Lovely. Isn't that, isn't that great? Hey, we started a new life group right here. <laughs> Called it. Now, um, it's interesting. I said form a circle and hold hands, and they've done that. And whenever you ask a group to do this, this is what they do. But is there a way of still holding hands and still being in a circle? Other than what you're doing. Ah, Kathy's onto it. Look at that. Yeah, still in a circle and they're still holding hands. But they're facing outwards. Now, all right, you guys can sit down. Thank you for that. You've illustrated it beautifully. Now, we often talk about that as an illustration just for church in general. Um, when, you, when you think about church, the first thing people do is they, 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 they look inwards, thinking that church is about them. Um, and, and you use this as an example to say, no, 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 look, look outwards. The church isn't about you. It's actually about others. And, but there is a part to church life groups that is about you and it is about the person that you're next to, the, the person that you're relating to. And so life groups are actually that first circle. Life groups are intentional about looking in to the person next to you, to your own life, to your own circumstances and encouraging and blessing and praying for and walking alongside and doing life together with a group. It's that first circle. Our interest groups, our whatever they're going to be called, is the second circle. And the intent and the purpose of those groups is that it's an outreach strategy. We're actually looking for other people to actually be included in. We're looking at and saying, hey, my friend, my neighbour, my work colleague could easily come and be part of this walking group part of this craft group, part of this worship group, um, and, it's, and it's relationship. And then it might be that in building those relationships, you say to your work colleague, your neighbour, your family member, hey, why don't, why don't you join our life group where we actually talk and discuss and grow together. 
So I look forward to what might emerge because I believe for life groups to function in the life of the church, it's got to be out of what God is doing amongst people and amongst our community. It's got to be Holy Spirit derived rather than personally enforced. And so I'm very excited to see what over the next few months what might emerge. Perhaps you're sitting there now going, yeah, maybe, maybe I should reconnect. Maybe I was in a life group once and I sort of drifted off and I've noticed that I, I miss that connection. Maybe it might be that we've talked about sweet spots. Maybe your sweet spot is actually leading group. And I want to just put out there, there's actually a need that we have, and that is to have a young adult group. There are young adults in our church who are running our youth ministry. And they are doing and doing and serving and serving and doing and serving and doing and serving. And they need some love. They need some mentoring. They need someone to put into them rather than them always putting into others. And that's, that's a real desire that I have to see. And it might be, hey, I really want to just get alongside these young adults and encourage them and watch them blossom in their faith and in their ministry. There's been talk about a worship life group. That sounds good. Getting together, playing some songs, but then talking about life during the week. There might be other things that emerge out of this time as we talk about doing life together. Can I invite the music team up? As the music team gets ready to uh, play a song, I wonder if you might just uh, join me as I pray. Because as I said, I, my desire is not to enforce anything on anyone or tell anyone what to do. My desire is that people see the benefit of connection, that people see that I will actually grow. My discipleship will blossom. Perhaps a ministry gifting might emerge because I'm actually listening to the voice of the Spirit and in where he's calling me to and who he's calling me to build closer relationships with. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we look at your example of, of just really putting into 12 men and how in doing that, they were completely changed. that their vocations changed, that their worldview changed, that their ministry capacity changed. And Lord, I just pray that right now, as, as we just wait on you, help us to listen to what you're calling us to do. 
based on who you're calling us to be, based on our giftings and our sweet spots, what is it that we should do, be doing that is going to grow, that is going to foster uh, strengthening in our own lives? And perhaps, Lord, you'll be dropping in names in our minds of people within our church family that we feel like maybe God's asking me to grow deeper in connection with. Maybe, Lord, you're asking me to open up my home. Maybe you're asking me to lead. Maybe you're asking me to just bless and encourage our young adults. Maybe you're encouraging me to again give it a go. Lord, we pray for life groups in the Hills Christian Family Centre. We pray that they would produce fruit, that they would be strong, that they would be based on your word, that they would be based on your truth, that we would see people go from where they are to where they're going to go because, they've, because you've used the people around them. So Lord, we just lay this whole area of our life to you and ask, Lord, that you would be at work. Lord, may you be doing miracles amongst us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.